Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. All right, so we are in week number seven of our series, Revival Starts Within. And I want to talk today about a subject um, that I'm calling the culture of revival. The culture of revival. And I want to begin by really focusing in on the word culture, right? So culture is a overused word in our world today. Maybe you hear it said all the time, but it, because it's a great word, by the way, culture is an amazing word. We talk about you know, maybe we talk about our culture of our work environment. Anybody talk about that? You go to work and like, we got to have a good work culture. You know what I'm talking about? Or we talk about, you know, creating a winning culture. Sports teams talk about creating a winning culture. Churches even talk about having a worship culture. And cultures themselves talk about their own culture, right? Like that's kind of what happens. We just talk about culture. And here's what is sort of happening inside of culture is we are actually doing something with culture. There's a cultivating aspect, if you will, to culture. And good cultures are trying to create healthy environments and ultimately the source of all this healthy cultivating, where the genesis of it is, where the beginning of it is, before there was pop culture, before there was subculture, before there was Jesus culture, if you know the band, before, before you could ever be a cultured person, there was a, there was a specific type of culture. The very first culture that ever exists was agriculture, right? It was agriculture. God created the world in a garden. He set Adam and Eve to enjoy the garden, to tend to it. Even after the fall of man, God sent Adam and Eve into the world to tend to the soil, right? Cultivating at its beginnings is the organizing and the arranging and the sophistication of dirt. Isn't that interesting? It's how do we make the dirt more sophisticated? How do we make the dirt more productive? How do we make the dirt more healthy? That's the genesis of culture. That's where it all began. How do we make this thing create more fruit? And this idea of agriculture is actually a dominant metaphor in scripture. I mean, it starts in the garden and it keeps going on. And as followers of Jesus, we are obviously doing, if you haven't thought about the work of agriculture, we are sowing seed, we are plowing new ground, we are tilling the soil, we are planting churches, we are workers in the harvest field, we are praying for the harvest, we want to bear spiritual fruit. And as, even as a church, we want to, what do we want to do? We want to grow roots in our city where we have um, seeds that we plant that will produce fruit and produce a harvest. You guys with me? Amen, right? Like this is future farmers of America. Are you with me? This is what we're talking about today. And as believers, we are in some ways farmers. We are in some ways field workers and gardeners. And as the church, we are always planting, always sowing seed, always plowing new ground. I have the question occasionally, hey, when are we no longer a church plant and just a church? We planted six years ago. I had this question posed to me the other day because someone said, hey, yeah, we're a church plant. And they go, well, when are we no longer a church plant? And I just said, you know, I, don't, I think we're always a church plant. Because whenever you lose your agricultural identity, you lose something very critical to being 
being the, the story, the story of God's people has always been one who is always sowing new seed. And when we become just a church, we might lose a little bit of our organism identity and start becoming an organization. Are you with me? And so we want to be a church that's always a church plant. We're always a church plant. And you're like, what does that mean? It, I don't know. It doesn't mean we're new. It just means that we're not stopping what God has started. When he says we are going to plow new ground, we are going to till new soil, we are going to pray for the harvest, we are going to be those workers in his fields. So I want to take this agricultural metaphor a little deeper. That's just sort of set up. We're not going to talk about farming tips. All right, we're good. Matthew 13, 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. This is an interesting scripture, right? Here we once again have this agricultural sort of metaphor, this picture that everybody's familiar with. And, and, and maybe we could say it like this, that living for the kingdom being a person living for the kingdom is like going out and sowing good seed. And while you're asleep, while you're not paying attention, the enemy's going to come along and he's going to sow weeds into your life. You're going to be trying to do good work and the enemy's going to come along and sow in and mix in bad work. Anybody experience this in life? You're like, I thought, I mean, I'm trying, I keep going, and then everyone, this is something just keeps coming up. I don't understand it. The enemy's going to sow weeds into the mix. Whatever that thing is you're longing to cultivate, the enemy wants to sow in Bad things, right? Whatever good thing you want to, so you want a healthy work culture, and then they hire your boss, and he's like Michael Scott, right? I mean, it's like you want a winning culture on your team, and then they trade Paul George and Russell Westbrook. This is what the enemy does. I'm kidding, but we do want to cultivate and grow, and the enemy wants, we want to cultivate and grow, and the enemy wants to infiltrate with weeds. That's what he wants to do. So for a moment, as we talk about culture, as we talk about what we need, I do want to talk about what does the culture of revival really need? What is it needing? If we're wanting to cultivate and grow something, we're going to talk about what do, how do we grow it? What are we doing? And Jesus, you know, he has always something good to say, right? In John 17, he actually prayed for you and me. I don't know if a lot of us know that he had a prayer for you and he prays for us, and he's praying in a garden one night, the night before he was eventually arrested and crucified. By the way, where is he praying? In a garden. <laughs> he never did anything intentional. Uh, John 17, verse 20, he's praying, and this is what he prays. My prayer is, for not, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they, th again, this is a prayer for you and me. He's praying this for all believers. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So his prayer, right? This is a central prayer of Jesus. This is, this is one of the cries of the heart of Jesus. 
And this prayer is, is, is actually one of the only recorded prayers of Jesus in the scriptures. John 17, right? Like, there's also the Lord's, but this is one of his few prayers that we actually get to see what Jesus prayed. So it stands to reason, if we just take it at that face value, that if this is one of the heart's cry, uh, or excuse me, one of the cries of the heart of Jesus, it should be one of the cries of our heart, right? This should be actually something that we not only pay attention to, but perhaps try to not only pray in unity with him, but understand what he's saying. Because Jesus is praying oneness among believers, and he begins with groups of people like us. He starts praying for us. Now, I don't know if you're going to look around the room how you feel in connection to the people in this room. I don't know how connected you feel. Maybe some of us. The enemy, though, I know what the enemy wants. He wants you to feel disconnected. He wants you to feel alone. He wants you to feel misunderstood, undervalued. See, these are, the, these, are the, these are the weeds that the enemy is sowing into our world today. How many of you guys would agree that the enemy is sowing weeds of division in our world today? <laughs> He's sowing in strife and weeds that divide us. When we watch the news, what's happening in our culture? What's being cultivated? Crops or weeds? <laughs> our world is divided by politics, socioeconomics, ideologies, race, religion. And here's the thing that I've been thinking about, and I'm hearing others say things about as well, is perhaps there's a bright side to all this. Perhaps there's a bright side to the realities that this world is very divided. There's a lot of arguing. It's that the world is not working. (laughs) The world isn't working at all. Politics aren't working. All these divisions, they're not working. The arguing is not working, which means the world is looking for something else. They're needing something else. And guess what the world is desperate for? The thing that Jesus prayed for. The world is desperate for the very thing that Jesus was desperate for. And so perhaps the landscape, perhaps the, 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 the signs of the times are showing us that the world is actually desiring something that Jesus desires for his church. That perhaps there's a thing in this time and in this place that the conditions are right for the spirit to be poured out on a world desperate for what Jesus was desperate for, which is oneness and unity. But the problem is, is we know that division happens among believers too, right? The lack of oneness. Division not only among doctrine and methods and styles and race and all those things, but it gets, how many, I mean, how many of you have been a part of a church or maybe even in this church or maybe in another church or maybe you yourselves where you've seen division among believers that just, I mean, it's over the most trivial things. And did nothing but hurt people. Anybody with me? This is a thing, right? I'm not just making it up. Yeah. For a moment, what I want to do, because this subject is so big, and for most of us, when we talk about the divided world we live in, most of us disassociate ourselves from it. We are like, oh, man, well, I'm not the racist. Oh, man, well, I'm not the political crazy nut job. <laughs> I'm not this. I'm not that. And we, we, we disassociate ourselves from the disunity of the world. The culture that we live in, we don't take ownership of, as if we aren't cultivating right along with it. And so I want to talk about three weeds that I believe all of us own, and they're not the only three weeds, but there's just three that I think that all of us have tolerated in our garden. You with me? So I'll just do these quickly. Um, I hesitate to point to the weeds, by the way, because I like to point to the fruit and the things that we're chasing after. 
If you've ever been a part of, if you've been a part of our church for any of your length of time, that's where we point. Um, I don't want to elevate the work of the enemy. I want to elevate the work of Jesus. But sometimes what I would say is, sometimes we got to point to what we don't want so we know what we do want. All right? And so here's the thing. Quickly, three weeds. Uh, I want to talk about the weeds of comparison, the weed of fearing the stranger, and the weird of I- the weed of isolation. And uh, I'll talk briefly about each of these. And um, yeah. These already capture you a little bit? Okay, cool. So the weed of comparison. Um, <laughs> these weeds are sprouting up all over our culture, are they not? Uh, we live in a social media world that is very much... Um, a world of displaying photos in which we compare our photos to others to see which one has actually got the better life, right? And we think our best moments don't compare to theirs. Uh, we compare. There's so much study right now about social media and the impact it's having on on young people right now, and the and and the way that comparison is driving their decision making. We compare our careers, our lifestyles, our social status, our clothes, our fitness or non-fitness. <laughs> And, and we even compare what we eat, don't we? How many times have you seen a picture of someone where they're eating and we become jealous of where they're eating? I want to know why people don't actually post what they do eat normally day in and day out. Like, post me a picture of some Burger King with a Whopper and onion rings in your lap as you went through the drive-thru. That's what I want to see a picture of. Hashtag mega size. You know what I mean? <laughs> but all we get are posts of, you know, eggs benedict and avocado toast. I'm telling you. That's once a month at best for most of us. I'm just saying, we're comparing, we're comparing our highlights, not our real life. Real life is onion rings, which, by the way, don't eat those at Burger King. It's bad. Don't even eat at Burger King. I'm just saying. If you're still, if you're still doing that, it's, it, there's a season for some things and a season for not some things. and It's, it's not that season. <laughs> okay. So, you know, FOMO didn't exist. FOMO didn't exist, it's a millennial term, um, until a few years ago. The fear of missing out, some of you guys are like, what's FOMO? F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. Um, Anyone admit, and you don't have, well, yeah, you can, that you regularly experience mild to medium cases of FOMO. Anybody in here? Yeah, yeah, fear of missing out. Sometimes we laugh at these things, and, and it is funny to some degree, and we use FOMO as a joke, but the truth is, is that really, if you think about what's underneath that, it's a very, very cultural challenge that we are facing. People are truly driven to decision-making and whether they, how they spend their money and what they do, driven by FOMO. Like, they don't want to miss out. Everybody else is doing it. I, I mean, so they, they, they see this online and they, FOMO is simply a version of comparison. The enemy is using comparison, the weed of comparison in our culture, and it's, cult- it's cultivating this and it's spreading like a weed, by the way. See how this illustration just keeps going? It's like never ending. Um, but often what's weird is this comparison thing is with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what's even stranger about the whole thing. I've seen people compare, oh, this is, 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 is going to shock you. People compare their churches to other churches. I know that's crazy. People do it, though. Um, or, or church leaders really struggle with that one. Or people even compare their own faith life. People have like kind of a, kind of a, a scale in their mind, like how they compare to others spiritually. And you're like, no, they don't. Yeah, they do. Yeah, maybe you do. Like, oh, man, you know, I mean, that person's like a, at best, a two or three on the good Christian scale, and I'm a six. I'm doing great. That's what we think. Or maybe you're the one, I'm like a two or three, and that person's like an eight or nine, and I'm terrible. You know, I, and, it, and it leads to questions like, do I measure up? How do I, how do I actually, um, you know, 
Am I, am I knowledgeable enough to serve or to lead or to, to come to the prayer room and pray? Do I even have the spiritual measuring? Do I measure up to even step into the room like that? People do this. They compare themselves in their minds. They think I'm not like her. I'm not, I'm not super mom or super dad. I, he's better than me. I'm not worthy. And comparison often discourages us, doesn't it? It discourages us in life, and we think, I'm not, my life isn't Instagram-worthy or Facebook-worthy. That's one version, but it also discourages us spiritually. People feel discouraged spiritually because they feel intimidated, and they don't feel as strong as others, and it causes them to shrink. And I've become aware of this among brothers and sisters. The other side of the comparison coin, though, isn't just discouraging. Sometimes it puffs us up, doesn't it? Sometimes we compare ourselves and we go, why am I the only one that seems to care about people? <laughs> or, that, or we say, like, why, why aren't they serving? They, they're very capable of serving. They should be serving. Or we say things like that, or don't they see all I'm doing? And as I mentioned, what's weird about this whole comparison thing is it's often with family. You know, what's interesting is this, this, this began early on. Very beginning, first family of the world, Cain and Abel, right? The sons of Adam and Eve. You remember what happened, right? Cain gets upset with his brother Abel because he compared his offering to him and felt discouraged by it. In fact, whenever the Lord gave him a different type of favor, again, it enraged him, and he ends up murdering his brother. And I'm not saying you're going to go murder those you compare to. But the roots of comparison are deep and they run deep and they create they create swells of jealousy and pride in us comparison is a weed in our culture when our and a weed in our culture and it's robbing us of life and self-worth it's distracting us from more of god and the church i'm just saying is the one who can uproot it the church is the one who can deny its relevance and its power and call it what it is. I just believe that. We can say, not only you are enough, but Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. All right, this next one. The, feed, the weed of fearing the stranger. This one is painful, I'm just going to say. It's very painful. I'm sure you're like me. I don't want to feel fear inside of me when I encounter people that are different from me. When I encounter people who think different from me, who are from different places, I believe most of us, if we're honest, we have a lot of work to do in this one. And I'm not talking about dismissing the notion of stranger danger. I'm not telling kids to go take candy from strangers. Of course, um, we should take safety precautions. We live in a world that is at times dangerous, so 100% we use common sense. This fearing the stranger is not what, this is a different subject where I'm, the angle I'm taking. So much of our fear, though, is unhealthy, isn't it? There's so much fear in our country about people who are different from us. Conservatives are afraid of the strange liberals, and the liberals are afraid of the strange conservatives, and the independents are afraid of both. <laughs> Racial cultures fear one another. And an evil movement that we are very well, very, very much aware of, white supremacy. It's anti-kingdom. It's when weeds have taken over a person's heart. And within those weeds of that person's heart is the fear of the stranger. 
Matt Carter, pastor of Austin Stone, he says this, there's not a message more contrary to the gospel than racism. If you don't like diversity, you're not going to like heaven very much. Amen? Racism is just one of the ways we fear the stranger. Some of us are afraid of walking across the street to our neighbor because it feels weird. Some of us are afraid of those who are poor because they are different from us. Some of us are afraid of those who are rich because they are different from us. But as Christians, we are called to love the stranger. Romans twelve thirteen says this, contribute to the needs of the saints. That would be to us. Extend hospitality to strangers. Now, a group of us last week, we were at an alpha training, and the trainer actually broke down the word hospitality and reminded us of what it means. The word hospitality, the original Greek of it, it's kind of two words together. The first word, first part of hospitality is the Greek word phileo. Everyone say phileo. Phileo, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo means love, all right? And the second part of the word is xenos, X-E-N-O-S. Xenos, everybody say xenos. I don't know why I put a little accent on it, but I like it. So phileo xenos, hospitality, it actually means loving the stranger. The word hospitality means loving the stranger. Phileo love xenos the stranger. Listen to this verse, Hebrews 13.1. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show phileo xenos, right? Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without even knowing it. That scripture blows my mind. That we may entertain angels when we love strangers. So the next stranger you, you meet named Michael, I'm just saying, pay attention. He may be the arch, 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 arch angel, right? angel, right? So anyway, the enemy has sowed the weed of fearing the stranger, and that's what he wants to cultivate, fear, division, yet Jesus taught us the opposite. Matthew 25 says this, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. This is a weed that the enemy is putting into our gardens as church believers and followers. And I believe the church can do something about it. And then we have this weed of isolation. When left unattended, this weed creates all sorts of unhealthy things in us. And uh, usually it's unintended, nobody and an unwanted isolation, but nonetheless, we can be in the middle of a crowd, even this size, and there can be some of us in this room that feel absolutely alone. And this is a place that's intended to be a place of community and unity and oneness, and it's full of alone people. And I just want to say, we need the Lord to do a work in this. This is the heart of Jesus that we would experience oneness and the enemy is sowing weeds while we're asleep, while we're not paying attention. And weeds of isolation exist right here among us. Not long ago, I watched a BBC documentary about animal predators called The Hunt. I've talked about this before. Um, It's one of those planet-esque shows, but I talked about it before because it's really good. And I'm going to talk about it again because, again, it's really good. And uh, I don't really recommend, you know, any shows but this one. Um, <coughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's okay. The basic premise. basic premise is, of course, about these animal predators like lions and cheetahs and, and leopards. 
and they when they are chasing down you know the animals of the world like the wildebeest or the antelope or the majestic zebra of the Serengeti, right? When they are doing that, animals like those, animals like those kinds, they herd together, don't they? They herd together, and when they stay in the herd, it's very difficult for the hunt to be successful. The predators, have had the, the success rate is very low. So what their goal is, of course, to get one of those animals to peel off. So they want to get that poor baby zebra, and they want to peel it off so it's by itself so that the predator can when it's isolated and alone, take the, take the animal down. The success rate goes up exponentially. And those lions initiate the circle of life in that moment. <laughs> There's no one more vulnerable, though, for real. There's no one more vulnerable to the attack of the enemy than one of God's people who gets out on his own. And isolates and causes you to think that no one cares no one understands. This is why Jesus prays unity, oneness, community. And we may not feel divided in this room, but I know we could stand for some more oneness. Amen? You know, the title of the series, Revival Starts Within, like I said, week seven, we're in it. It can imply that this is an individual pursuit, like it's within you. It can imply that, you know, God and you will go experience the breakthrough. It can imply that, you know, you can pray enough, you can praise enough, that you can experience revival on your own. I just want you to know, Jesus says, if you want more of me, you're going to run into his desire for more unity. It's just going to happen. <laughs> when you start seeking more of God, you're going to go, I need more unity, more one anothering. I'm going to throw that word on the screen. We prayed this this morning, one anothering. More one anothering. The phrase one another is used a hundred times in the New Testament. Is that not crazy? Jesus' prayer for unity and oneness in John 17 is not the only verse we can hang our hat on that unity matters. It's mentioned a hundred, over a hundred times. The New Testament is littered with verses about one anothering. Things like love one another, pray for one another, share with one another, forgive one another over a hundred times. And I believe oneness calls for one anothering and, and Here's the deal. I pointed to the things that we need to uproot, but I do want to point to the things that we need to, we need to start sowing seeds of. Our world needs this. Our city needs it. You need it. I need it. And I'm just going to read a number of these verses, if that's okay. All one. No. I want to read all 100, but it's close. I'm going to read several of these, though. Just let, let these just kind of sit in your heart the thing that we need to cultivate. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Wait for one another before communion. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Seriously, guys, don't eat one another. <laughs> Don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another and don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess sins to one another. Love one another. That one is said 11 times. Love 
one another. Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another in love. Greet one another with a kiss of love, starting next week. Be devoted to one another in love. Give preference to one another in honor. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Be subject to one another. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. Do not judge one another and don't put a stumbling block in a brother's way. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Comfort one another concerning the resurrection. Encourage and build up one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Be phileozinos, hospitable to one another. You know, God longs for more of you so he can give you more of himself. We've been talking about the ways and rhythms of people who long for more of God. You ever thought about that God longs for more of you? And he longs for more of you so he can give you more of himself. And he does never, he's never intended for you to do that on your own. And you know, while the enemy looks to hunt people down, isolate them, drag them down, and devour them. You get that picture, right? That's what the enemy wants to do. God actually longs to gather his people together in unity as a herd that will protect one another in oneness, right? So he can pour out his spirit of goodness on them. And guess what? The more people, the more spirit. I'll close with this. A few months ago, I, uh, I had this picture from the Lord that I feel like I received about, about this thing of weeds. And I saw this, 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 this lawn of, of grass and all these weeds were growing up in it and it was getting kind of tall, if you will. And someone came along and they mowed it all down. They just took a mower, they mowed it all down. And you know what? After it was mowed, it looked pretty normal. And I don't know if you know anything about yard care, but once, if you have a yard full of weeds, once it's mowed, it looks, it looks fine. Nobody's really talking about that yard. Nobody's driving by and going, oh my gosh, they need to take care of the yard, right? Once it's mowed, it's green, just like, it's not a yard of fescue grass, grass lovers, but it's okay. You know, it's, it's mowed, it's taken care of, it's fine. And the picture is just simply this, that, that for a lot of us, how we're taking care of these weeds is we're mowing over them. We're just mowing over them. And what that means is that we're just, we're acknowledging them a little bit, but it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of comparison. It's a little bit of, of fearing the stranger. It's just a little bit of isolation. It's just a little bit of being just like the world and just cultivating the same thing the world is cultivating. We're mowing over them. And the picture that I was given was like, no, 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 what a good gardener does. A good gardener gets down on his knees, right? And he sees where the weed is and does the work required to uproot the weed. And, and it begins with, I mean, we're on our knees, right? It begins with prayer. Everything begins and ends with prayer, right? But in between the prayers, Jesus called us to do some things. A hundred times in the New Testament, he said, one anothering is what I want you to do. Perhaps uprooting the weeds of division and strife and the culture, cultural, if you will, landscape that we deal with is a group of people that say we will not tolerate these weeds any longer. We are, not gonna know, we are no longer going to mow over them and keep everybody thinking we look just fine. We are actually going to own our own weeds that are in our garden. We're going to get rid of them. 
or we're going to throw them in the fire as we're supposed to do. You know, our culture needs revival. Our culture needs good seed, people who get down on their knees and do the work of prayer, the work of one anothering, the work of loving the stranger, the work of uprooting weeds, right? And perhaps the move of the Spirit in our day and in our time I really mean this. This is hopefully something that you hear. This is bigger than just us. This is bigger than a series. This is bigger than a Sunday. Perhaps the move of the Spirit in our day and in our time, in our lives, is one where church takes on its identity as cultivators and culture makers, where we start to set the tone of what the culture really needs. And once a church plant, always a church plant, that we don't settle into where we are, but we always are taking new ground and not giving it back that we are cultivating soil that is fruitful and plentiful, that we are proud workers in the harvest field, praying and waiting for the harvest because Jesus is going to send his spirit and he's going to pour it out and our culture is going to experience revival in this land, a renewed culture, if you will. Maybe our culture is ripe for the very thing that Jesus desired as a cry of his heart. Maybe our culture is ready for the change that only Jesus can bring. We believe God is raising up people in churches for such a time as this. It's all over the world right now. The culture of revival will always be a culture of oneness. It just will. It can't. We cannot have revival without unity and oneness. It can't happen. Not just in this room, but across our city. So my friends, let's pray together, shall we? The question today, perhaps, that you walk out of here with is, what are you cultivating? So I'm just going to ask you, and I'm going to pray for each of you, but if you've been struggling with comparison, maybe you're discouraged, or perhaps you find jealousy, you're constantly looking at others and what they have or who they are, or maybe you're someone who says, I truly, as you're talking about fearing the stranger, I realize like I need to own that if that's an area of growth for you. Or perhaps you're here and the enemy has just sowed in so much isolation in your life and you just feel alone. Listen, wherever you're at in that, I just want to pray for you. If, if no one's looking around, but if you just say, I would like prayer for one of those three things, it, not that... It's just you and acknowledging before the Lord today more than anything. Would you just lift your hand? I'd like, I'd like prayer. I'm going to pray for one of those three things. Just go ahead and pray. Lift your hand up where you're at. Sort of as an act of oneness, right? Father, I pray over our church family, that Lord, as we, as brothers and sisters, um, that Lord, we would, we would live as family, that we would one another with one another. We would do the good work of gardening. We'd identify these weeds that are in our life, and Lord, we would go and cultivate health. May we prepare um, the culture for revival. And Father, I pray over each and every person that raised their hand and just acknowledges that, Lord, you're speaking to them right now, that, God, you would just move in their life, that, Lord, you'd free them, that hope you'd help them uproot those weeds, Father, um, for your sake and for your kingdom. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.